The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you that these words that we've just sung are true. I thank you, Lord, that um, they aren't just trivial things that we say to make ourselves feel better. You're on your throne. There's nothing that can change that. There's no feeling that can change that. There's no person, personality. There's nothing. There's no circumstance that can change that. You're on your throne. And so, all these things may change, but your love for us never changes. Your sovereignty and your rule never changes. So, Lord, we can sing it as well. So, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning to you. Real quick, uh, one more quick announcement. You know, we go to Jackson Avenue twice a a month. We take food down there and feed uh, the homeless and the people who are hungry down there on Jackson Avenue. We uh, usually have a a pretty good-sized crew going. Today, for some reason, we've only got uh, three of our our regular people going. So if you could go with us and help us serve um, uh, the people down there that that need it. Um, If you would, would you meet in the kitchen in there at 1 o'clock? Is that correct? 1 o'clock? Someone correct me? Okay. Yeah, 1 o'clock right there in the gym. There's a kitchen right there. If you've never gone before, it's real simple. I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. Right after church. All right. So don't delay. No one o'clock. All right. So right after church, meet in the kitchen right there and they will, uh, they'll, they'll get you squared away. Just go and serve and love on people and it'll be great. Okay. This morning. So we've been talking about Daniel before we get there this morning. Um, I woke up and my wife's been out of town. She's on the, the women's retreat um, and she's had a great time. But uh, I, I was, I had, uh, I had most of the kids this weekend. I, I just had, thankfully I have in-laws. So thankfully I just had uh, my two oldest boys with me uh, last night and this morning getting ready. And, um, and so we went to bed um, if you're going to talk to Angela, we went to bed on time. Uh, if you are going to talk to my wife, then we went to bed later than normal. And uh, so this morning I get up and I'm, I'm just really tired, you know, and I'm, I'm in the shower. And, and what I do on Sunday mornings in the shower, I, I, I think through the message. I'm trying to think through it again. And I want it to be fresh in my mind. I'm, I'm kind of going through that. And, and you know, I, I really couldn't get my head there. And I was, I was really struggling. And as I was sitting there getting ready, I was going, you know, what? I'm getting ready to go worship with my family here. And you know what I thought about? A a week ago today, our elder and our brother, Mark Wilson, went to be with the Lord. And I thought about, I I know time doesn't work the same way there, but I'm sitting here and and I'm tired and and, and like my back aches and and, and like my mind is scrambled and I've got all these things going on. And like he, he's with the Lord right now and he's worshiping the Lord and there's nothing in the way of that. Like he didn't have to drive there, he's there, you know? He didn't have to get ready, he's, he's ready, he's there. Like he's clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's good news. That's so good, that's so, that's just wonderful news. And you know, at his funeral uh, that we had this past, this past week, there were three tables sitting here. And as I said, there were three tables to remind me that I'm not really a man because these are the three things that kind of showed his life, right? So he had a table for for football. Um, Unfortunately, it was UT football, which just shows anybody can get into heaven. So uh, there's football. 
Then he like, he was, he was a mechanic and there were wrenches there the size of my toddlers. And then uh, right here, like he was also in the army. And so he had a, a tank shell, right? And so I started to think like, like I, what, if I, what kind of life have I lived, right? Like, what are they going to put up there? Like Skittles and an Xbox? Like that's what, that's Grant, right? He's a, he was a real man. But you know, as we remember Mark this morning, um, it's, it's interesting that he was a veteran and, and Veterans Day is this week. And so we want to recognize our veterans real quick. If you're, if you're a veteran um, uh, in, of the armed services, would you stand? I'm sorry, we don't want to embarrass you, but would you stand? Would you stand? Thank you. Thank you. You can go ahead and, and be seated. I, I found this prayer. I did not write it. I found this prayer um, by Dr. Jennifer Phillips um, from St. Augustine's Episcopal Church at the University of Rhode Island. She wrote this prayer. I'd like to read this prayer for us. So if you would pray with me. God of all nations, you are our strength and shield. We give you thanks today for the devotion and courage of all those who've offered military service for this country, for those who have fought for freedom, for those who have laid down their lives for others, for those who have borne suffering of mind or of body, for those who have brought their best gifts to time of need. God, in your mercy and love, we thank you for their lives. On our behalf, O oh God, many have entered into danger, endured separation from those that they love, labor long hours and borne hardship in war and in peacetime. God, in your mercy and love, we thank you for their lives. We ask today that you would lift up by your spirit those who are now at war. Encourage and heal those in hospitals or mending their wounds at home. Guard those in any need or trouble. Hold safely in your hands all military families and bring the returning troops to joyful reunion and tranquil life at home. Give to us, your people, grateful hearts and a united will to honor these men and women and hold them always in our love and our prayers until your world is perfected in peace and all wars cease. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So we've been talking about Daniel. If you have a Bible, open your Bible to Daniel chapter four. Daniel chapter four. So we've been looking at lessons from a fellow exile. So Daniel is in Babylon. He is, a, he is an exile just like we are. We are exiles in this world. This is not our home. Again, as we remember Mark this morning, Mark is at home. This is not our home. And so we've been learning these lessons. And lesson number four is Humble yourself. Lesson number four is humble yourself. If you have a Bible, go ahead, get there to Daniel chapter four. <coughs> We're gonna start there in verse one. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His everlasting kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So King Nebuchadnezzar is about to tell us a story of what has happened to us, but before he does, he gives praise to God, and he says, so what happens is he says he was having a dream, and this dream was making him afraid, so he calls all of his, his wise men in, his advisors in, and as usual, they were unable to tell him what the dream meant, and so he sent for Daniel, and he says this to Daniel, look in verse 10. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. 
I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Believe the stump of its root in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it its lowliest of men. So Daniel hears this, the Lord gives him an interpretation immediately, and he's alarmed. He doesn't necessarily want to deliver this news to the king, but he does. Look at verse 19. My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that the top reached the heaven, it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves are beautiful, and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and whose branches the birds of the heaven lived. It's you, O king, who've grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree, destroy it, leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, and the tender grass of the field, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. <clears throat> it's a decree of the most high, which has come upon my lord, the king that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. So he says to the king, listen, your kingdom's gonna be taken away from you. You're gonna be driven out and you're gonna be like a, like a wild animal, okay? Until you learn that the God of heaven rules, right? So Daniel gives him this message. And then look verse 27. Daniel's such a loving and kind person. Listen, he offers advice. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel says, look, stop sinning, practice righteousness, be merciful to the oppressed, and maybe God will bless you. Maybe this doesn't have to happen. What does the king do? He doesn't listen. He doesn't do anything for a year, for 12 months. And then look, verse 29, at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, here's what he says, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Have you ever heard someone say something so prideful you cringed, right? This is it right here. This is the one that you throw up in your mouth a little bit, all right? This is really weird and gross and prideful. Look at verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle feathers, 
and his nails were like bird's claws. So Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind. He goes out and lives like a wild animal. And, and, and he's just out there. His body is wet with the dew, right? So he's, he's just out there in nature. His hair's going crazy. His nails are going crazy. He's just out there. He loses his mind. But then he realizes he's humbled and he realizes God rules. Look at verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still did my greatness, still my greatness was added to me. So, all of it's brought back. He recognizes, he honors the Lord, he gives thanks to the Lord, and the Lord, the Lord gives him everything back, and then even adds more greatness to it. Did this experience change Nebuchadnezzar, you think? Nothing has so far. He's, he's always remained this prideful whatever. Did it change him? I hope so. Look at verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. It makes me think, you think Nebuchadnezzar would be in heaven? I have no idea. That's just rhetorical. I don't know. It sounds like it. That sounds like some saving faith there. I don't know. But what was Nebuchadnezzar's problem here? What was his problem in one word? Sum it up in one word. Anybody want to give it a shot? Pride. Nailed it. Absolutely. Gold star. Someone get him a gold star. Pride. Exactly. And we all deal with pride. Now, I'm not saying we deal with pride in the sense that we rule our own kingdoms or whatever, but we do deal with pride. Like, we deal with the pride of thinking that our point of view is the best, or we figured something out no one else has figured out, so our way of doing it is the best. Or when we, when we have some sort of success, sometimes we start to believe that, that, that we're, we're big deals, right? I'm kind of a big deal, right? We, we kind of suffer with that. I remember one time someone asked uh, Winston Churchill, um, doesn't it thrill you to know that every time you speak, like the auditorium is just packed to overflowing? And, and he says, yes, like there is that temptation to think he's a big deal. But he says, you know, I always remember that instead of, if, instead of making a political speech, I was being hanged, the size would be doubled, right? So like we all deal with that. We all deal with that, that pride. And we've learned about pride from this narrative. What have we learned about pride? Well, several things. Number one, pride hurts us. Pride hurts us. You see that pride disrupts our relationship with God. James 4, 6 says, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Haven't you experienced that? Where your pride has, has hurt your relationship with God? Where, where your sensitivity to his voice has suffered? Where your desire for him has, has suffered? Where your relationship with him has suffered? Pride hurts that. Pride hurts our relationship with God. Pride also deludes our thinking. We ignore the truth of God's power and believe the lie of our own power. Like Nebuchadnezzar is standing here on this rooftop. He's just a man, but he's standing here on this rooftop. He's looking at all his kingdom. He's going, wow, I did something awesome here, right? This is great. I did this by my power as if he went and put every brick in place, right? But I did this by my power. But what about his first dream? Remember his first dream in Daniel chapter two? He has this dream of this big, scary statue. What did Daniel say to him? Verse 36, that was a dream. Now let me tell you what it means. Your majesty, you're the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. Like the truth, and he knows the truth. What's the truth? 
God gave this to me. I can't take credit for this. God gave this to me. And yet, where do we find Nebuchadnezzar? Standing there going, wow, I'm pretty great, right? We see him clapping himself on the back harder than anyone has ever clapped before, right? Man, I am it. I have so much power. Look at what I have done. He knows the truth, but pride does what? It deludes our thinking. And, and seriously, like our brains are wired for pride. Like when pride shows up, it just jumps on it. You know what I'm talking about? Like our brains just drink that in. And you know, we think that we're the center of the universe. Like that's a natural way of thinking. I mean, think about it. When crisis hits in somebody else's life, what's your first thought? Like, let's be honest. What's your first thought? How's this affect me? You, you think through that, right? How's this affect me? What's, what's this gonna do for me? And this happens a lot, like when things change. What's the first thing that you think of? When something changes, what do you think of? How's this affect me? When something changes that you don't like, who wasn't thinking about me, right? We think through that, we think that way. And we think everyone's watching us, right? Like yesterday I went to a kid's birthday party. I was like with my kids, I'm not a weirdo. But I went uh, to this kid's birthday party and I didn't know anybody. Like it was one of those things like my son like knows their kid. So now like we have to go and I go and I don't know anybody and it's weird. And I'm just sitting there thinking like everyone's looking at us, right? And we go outside and we jump on the jumpy house, uh, which my son Max very quickly poked a hole in, real proud. And so like we go out there and no one's out there with us. And like the whole time I'm sitting there, I can't help but think, are they talking about us sitting out here by ourselves, right? And you do that, don't you? Like you think everybody's looking at it. As a kid, like my, my like self-centeredness work, like it went to a, a completely different level. Like I remember as a kid, I used to think that there were like talent scouts, like for like Nickelodeon, always out there. Like, you know what I mean? Every time I went to Kroger, there was a talent scout. Like all I have to do is impress him and I get my own show. Like I always thought that, like to the point, I have this very distinct memory. Do you guys remember the Wonder Years? You know the show, the Wonder Years? What would you do? If I sang out of tune, would you stand up and walk out on me? All right, anyway, we're here. That, there was an episode of that show where uh, the main character, like, his, like, one of his friends, like, moved away or whatever. And I remember they shot this, like, really dramatic scene, and he was on his bike, and he, like, kind of rode away. And that song was playing that really, the, you know, the, the theme song is kind of this weird, sad ballad a little bit. And so that song's playing. So my neighbor friend, who was my best friend at the time, Joseph was moving to Florida and they had the, uh, they had the, the, the moving truck there and they're about to leave. And so like, I was on my bike and I was like, wonder years time. And I like rode up to the corner, like where his house was. And that song's playing in my head the whole time. And I like look up and then I put my head down dramatically and I ride away slowly, right? And I get like 10 feet away and I stop and turn and then I go back, right? And I did that like three or four times because I don't know, like, what if the talent scout was in the bathroom? I don't know, like, but I got to be dramatic. And like, I know that's silly, but the, the point is that, that our, our pride, like, it warps our way of thinking and, and, and we become the center of everything, right? And, and our pride not only, like, in times of blessing do we, <coughs> do we take credit, <coughs> excuse me, but we think like, we think the good things that happen in our life are because of us, like, like we did it, just like Nebuchadnezzar. And it's easy to look at a blessing and take credit for it, isn't it? Like God blesses us, maybe you got a promotion at work. Well, I worked really hard, I worked really, really hard. Maybe, thanks pops. Maybe, uh, uh, that's literally my dad. Okay, so maybe you have a nice home. It's easy to like look at that nice home and go, man, like I've worked really hard, we did a really good job, I picked out the right floors. 
I did a good thing here, you know, or to have a beautiful family. You know, the other night I was, I was um, rocking my son to sleep, and there's nothing better. There's nothing better in the world than to hold your baby and rock them to sleep. You know what I'm talking about? And you like, you, you rub your cheek on the top of their head, right? And just, every, you're just sitting there listening to them breathing. It's easy in that moment to just look at him and see how cute he is and to go, man, good job, buddy. Right? Like you did, look at this thing. Like there are babies out there. Not all babies are cute. You realize that, okay? Like everybody, we're on the same page with that. There's some babies out there. They're like, oh, that one should have cooked a little bit longer. That, there's something wrong with that one. But you see, when you look at yours and you see the, the, the cute little cheeks and everything, it's, it's, it's easy to take credit for that. But you know, as I was rocking him and holding him, there's a scripture verse that's above his crib and it says, every good and perfect gift is from above. And I have to go, yeah, God, this, this is incredible. You did this. You gave me this, right? And if, if, if there's anything good I can do for this child, it's because you're doing it through me. But pride deludes our thinking. Pride also diminishes our obedience. Nebuchadnezzar is warned by Daniel, what? Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. And then what does he do? Nothing. Why? Because he doesn't have to. Look at his own words in verse 30. Is not this great Babylon, that I, which I built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my own majesty, why obey somebody else when he got it all figured out? And so pride deludes our obedience. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The foolishness of pride tells you what? You know best. It deludes our obedience. Why obey when you can do it another way, when you figured out another way? When obedience is hard or it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense to forgive here, why do it? When you know better, right? So when forgiveness is hard, your way of holding a grudge, well, Sounds better, so, so why obey? When you want to look, but less doesn't seem so dangerous, after all, it's only in your head, no one else will know, well, why obey? This is pride. Forget obedience, I, I know, I can figure it out. I got this, right? So pride diminishes our obedience, and pride destroys our love. Look there in verse 27, what does he say to him? He says to Nebuchadnezzar, You're, break off your iniquities by what? Showing mercy to the oppressed. Nebuchadnezzar was not a merciful guy. We see that in, in, in chapter two with the dream. What does he say to, to all of his wise men? You tell me what the dream means. Like you tell me what my dream is, first of all, and then you tell me what it means or I'm gonna kill you. And they're like, hey man, let's talk, let's talk real quick. Nobody's ever asked anybody ever to do this. This is too hard. Like there's no other wise man in the world that can do this. No other king has asked something like this. How about you just tell us the dream and we will do our best to tell you what it is. But we can't possibly know what your dream was. And he's like, yeah, 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 I see your point, but tell me what my dream is or I'm gonna kill you. Are we good on that, right? And so then they can't, of course, and he goes, that's cool, I'll just kill you. There's no mercy in Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because these people weren't useful to him. They weren't helping him, and pride destroys our love for others. Why? Because it's about us, and people are only as good uh, as what they can do for us. That's what pride does. I mean, Jesus is our ultimate example of love, and in Philippians 2, we're told to have his mind, and we see this mind. Look at Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Love requires that you count others more significant than yourself. And pride makes no room for that. Pride makes no room for other people to be more significant than I am. Pride can't consider someone, else, someone else's preferences over its own. There's no room for that. Pride can't allow you to do things your way. 
There's no room for that. Pride doesn't consider your needs or feelings because they aren't as important. Pride destroys our love. So pride hurts us. <clears throat> the second thing we see about pride, God will deal with pride. He dealt with Nebuchadnezzar, what did he do? Took his kingdom away. Made him out, go out there and live like a wild animal. God will deal with pride. In the next chapter, in chapter five, with his son Belshazzar, what did God do with his pride? He killed him. Like that night, he killed him. And he deals with us too. He doesn't let our pride slip either. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves whom, him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. A loving father disciplines his child. And it's just true. You know, we were at this uh, soccer game yesterday. It was our last soccer game of the season. Praise God. And we were at that game and one of my children... Uh, was out there and he's lined up with his team and he had his ball in front of him. And they all had their ball in front of him. And so the coach had some like, some kind of drill, whatever drill you can try to run with kids who are five years old. He has some sort, of, some sort of drill or whatever and all the kids just mayhem. They just start kicking like soccer balls, like crazy. And they're just, soccer balls going everywhere. And I was like, wow, they're really learning some stuff. And so once they pick all the balls back up and they get their balls back, my son like walks over real calmly to another kid and he just goes, and he just shoves this kid, and this just lays this kid out. And so, like, immediately, like, without even thinking, I just scream out over the soccer field his name. You know, in that dad voice, like the guttural, like, bear voice every dad has. You know what I'm talking about, right? So I just scream out his name, and everything stops. Like, all the kids stop, all the parents stop, and they, like, look over at me, and my son just, like, walks over to me, right? And I was like, now you know the now through closed teeth you know like the growl and so he comes over to me you know what in that moment I could have felt like oh am I being a bad parent you know all these people are looking at me or whatever but you know I, I love my son and if I let him think that that just being violent towards people is the correct way to live then I'm not being loving towards him and so I need to discipline him. And I need my daddy growl to get the point across that what he did is not okay. I need to call him out in that moment. That's what a loving father does. A loving father disciplines. And God corrects us with our pride. He doesn't let that slide. I was talking recently to a friend of mine. We talked quite a bit about this actually, about pride and how God deals with us with pride. And, and one of the things we talked about was one of the ways he corrects us and, and he, he, he disciplines us is that he just lets us make a fool of ourselves. Isn't that what pride is? Like when you see it in other people, doesn't it normally like make a fool out of you? And the Lord will let that happen to me. The minute that I am just abundantly prideful, he'll go, oh, okay, let's see how that works out for you, right? And he'll let me just go make a fool of myself, make an absolute idiot of myself. And it, and it humiliates me, why? So I won't do it again. So I know how gross that is. So I know how offensive that is. So I, now how, I know how unhelpful that is. And I don't like to be punished. I never have, all right? I never went and hit my brother and then came up to my dad and I was like, give it all you got, right? Like, I don't, I don't like to be punished. I don't. I don't like to be humiliated, okay? I don't do, I, I'm not all about that. And if you're like that with me, then I, I don't want that. I don't want God to discipline me. I don't want that to happen. I don't, I don't want to bring that punishment on myself through pride. So here's the third, the third thing we learn about pride. We can humble ourselves. Daniel 4.27, when he gives that advice to the king, what's he saying to the king? Humble yourself. Make a change. Humble yourself. And we can too. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. If we humble ourselves, God won't have to do it. 
and also what? He'll lift us up. We'll be honored. So what does humbling ourselves look like? Well, real quick, three things. One, humble thinking. We've already touched on pride leading us to think that, you know, we're a really big deal. You know, like, man, there's, there's nobody else quite like me. There's nobody else quite as successful as me, right? And not only that, but we, lead, we know pride leads us to think that, that we're the reason we're a big deal, you know? So how do we change that? Well, Philip Brooks wrote this, and I think it's true. The true way to be humble is not to stoop until you're smaller than yourself, but to stand at your real height against something higher, na- uh, higher that will show you what the real smallness of your greatness is. Have you ever stood at the opening of the Grand Canyon and felt how small you are? Have you, ever, have you ever been in the middle of the vast ocean and felt just how small you are? This is how we change our prideful thinking into humble thinking. Not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less and thinking more of God. How do we do that? Look at the opening of Daniel chapter four. Look at verse two. What's Nebuchadnezzar say? It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. What is Nebuchadnezzar doing? Probably for the first time in his life. He's giving God credit. He's being thankful to God. And I think we should follow his lead. If we want our thinking to remain humble, if we want our, our, our thinking to be humble before God, I think we should follow his lead and be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Thanksgiving protects us from taking credit for his gifts. (coughs) We're always giving credit to somebody, aren't we? Like you have a really good meal, right? It's not like, wow, I did a really good job ordering. No, 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 you had a really good meal. Man, the chef was on it tonight. You go see a good movie, you give somebody credit. Man, Denzel can do anything, and that is true, all right? Or you go, uh, like, like, Maybe, maybe there's something like you went to an event and it, was really, it ran really smoothly. Man, that coordinator, she knows what she's doing, right? And so you give credit. And you know what? We're always getting credit. And if I don't consciously make the effort and the decision to give God the credit for the good things going on in my life, it is easy for me to give it right back to myself and to take that credit. And Thanksgiving helps us keep the credit where it belongs, on him. And it also helps us keep our eyes where they belong, which is on him. God has give us, given us all some great gifts, hasn't he? You're sitting in here, aren't you? He's given us great gifts. We have a great country. We have the freedom to be here this morning. You have the health to get here this morning. Everybody in here clothed, nobody in here naked. All right, so he's given you clothes, right? You have food to sustain you. You have water. He's given us great, great things. And without thanksgiving, you know what I do? I stare at my gifts And I may even start to take credit for them or I just focus at my gifts. How great are these gifts? How useless is that? And what I'm missing is something far greater than the gifts. And that's the gift giver. And Thanksgiving turns our eyes from these gifts to something far better, to something that will last. Our gifts won't, but this will last. Our God will last. So ask yourself this question. I'm gonna give you three questions. With each one of these, I'm gonna give you a question. So here's the first question. Ask yourself this, am I thankful? And I mean ask that regularly. Am I thankful? You know, on Tuesday nights we come in here and, and, and we do a prayer meeting and, and there's a point where we're by ourselves and, and a part of that is, to, is, is for Thanksgiving. You're just supposed to give God thanks. And so I usually, I'll take my phone, I'll open the note app and I'll just start typing things like blessings that he's given me. And sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm going, wow, I took that for granted? Oh, wow, you, you've been so good to me with this and with this and with this. Try that. Try that, literally try that. Take a sheet of paper, take your phone, whatever, and be thankful. Like just think about all the ways God's blessed you. And I don't mean just regularly be thankful. I mean always be thankful. You know, 
when I, when I think about not only being here on Tuesday nights, but when I'm here, when, when I'm just out living my life and God gives me a good gift, am I thankful? Like, am I really, truly thankful? When a coworker is kind to you, like, thank God, like, try it. Like, when, you dry, when your drive is going well, thank God. When your child hugs you, thank God. When you're enjoying a meal with a friend, like, thank God. Try that this week. We can humble our thinking through thanksgiving, giving the credit to God, keeping our focus on him. But humbling yourself is not just a mental exercise, okay? It's not just up here in your head. What are Daniel's words to Nebuchadnezzar? Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. So the second thing is humble living. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. Nebuchadnezzar was not honoring the Lord with his life, not with how he lived. He honored the Lord with words sometimes. You see that in the end of chapter two. He honored the Lord with some words. And you see that here in chapter four. But obedience, what Daniel's saying is humility is way more than just talk. It's way more than coming in here and singing a, a song about God. Humility is the way that you live your life. Like, think about it. Nebuchadnezzar lived his life how he wanted to. That's not humble living. And that doesn't work for a Jesus follower. We see here in Matthew 16, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and what? Follow me. Deny yourself. What does that mean? Anybody in here ever done diets or exercise or anything like that? Anybody? It's okay. It's okay. It's a safe place. All right. Don't want to admit it. It's a fine. You all look wonderful. All right. I, I've never done that. I, I think I, I'm not a real big exerciser either. I think if God intended for me to touch my toes, it'd be higher on my body. Um, and so that's not a real big priority for me. But you know, like my wife, my wife, uh, she does Weight Watchers. She's real proud of it. She's really great at it. Um, but she knows what deny yourself means because I eat garbage, all right? Like I eat absolute garbage. If it's not processed and has some sort of trans something, I don't want to eat it, okay? And so like at night, after we put our kids to bed, we do what all parents do who have young kids in bed. You go hide. And so we go hid in our, in our bedroom. And so we go in there and usually that's when we eat dinner. It's like 8.30, the kids are asleep. We got to eat there. So she will... She'll make me something ridiculous like bacon with a side of bacon wrapped in bacon. And then like she'll have something Weight Watchers. Well, you know what? I know it's not easy for her, okay? Like she's got water and she's eating like something that I think animals are only supposed to eat, not humans. And she's over here like doing good. And I'm over here and I just got bacon grease all over me, right? At this point, I'm just rubbing it in. Like I, she knows what deny yourself is. And what is it? She's not in charge. Something else is in charge. That's denying yourself, and that's humble living. We aren't in charge. God is in charge in everything. And so ask yourself this question. This is the second question to ask yourself. Am I obedient? Now listen, you go, well, that, that's not very profound. Am I obedient? Like, okay, yeah, okay, I can hear any pastor saying that. That's not very profound. Well, listen, pride would be an easy thing to battle if it was overtly arrogant, right? Like overt arrogance we can all see. You know, that's something that, that you get called on pretty quick or you get punched in the face. One of the two, you figure it out. But pride's more subtle than that. Like pride is what? It's simply choosing to do something that ignores the wisdom of God. That can be really subtle. So this question is not trivial anymore. It's important. So ask the question regularly in different areas of your life. Am I being obedient? And you might be surprised by the answer because you've never asked the question. Like maybe you, you look at the way you use your money and the way that you give your money. And you never really thought about it. You know what, I give 10% to the church, I save my money, that's fine. Have you asked, Lord, am I being obedient to what you really want me to do? The answer might be no. And it might be something just because you never asked that question. Or, or maybe, maybe you, you thought, you're thinking about an old wound that you tried to forget over and over again, and you've never asked the question, am I being obedient? 
You've asked the question, how can I forget this? How can I survive this? But you never asked the question, am I being obedient? Does God have something for me here? <coughs> Maybe you look at the way you speak to others and you ask, am I being obedient with my words? And you realize you're way more harsh than you think, you know? And so again, it's a, it's a great question to ask. Our culture does not like self-reflection. We don't like self-reflection, but it's necessary for the followers of Jesus, right? So this week, ask yourself, am I being obedient? And you know what? Maybe, maybe it's a good question to ask of somebody else. Hey, you're an outside perspective. Am I being obedient here? What do you think about this? And maybe God will speak to you through somebody else. So humble living is obedient living. And lastly, humble loving. Verse 27, break off your sins by practicing righteousness and what? And your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. Humble loving is showing mercy to others. And mercy is what? Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it's within your power to punish or harm. So, so it would be, you could, when someone speaks an unkind word to you, you don't return it with an unkind word. You're, you're kind to them. You're gracious to them. You could avenge a rude action, but instead you forgive them. Being merciful is really being loving. It's reflecting that loving God we have who gives us mercy every single moment of every single day. And we already discussed it, that love requires something. Philippians 2, 3, remember, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but what? In humility, count others more significant than yourself. Love requires that you count others more significant than yourself. So I think if we want to love humbly, we want to love other people humbly, then I think we should ask this question. Here's our third question. Am I most important? Am I most important? When looking for a solution to a problem with some people, does this work out better for me or for them? Am I most important? After a conflict, am I willing to forgive them and to, to confess about what I've done wrong or am I wor more worried about me or what they've done to me? Am I most important? Like humble love would require us to ask that question. When your preferences don't agree, do you humbly ask yourself, am I most important or do I need to consider their preferences? You know, when I think about all the conflicts I've had recently, and I, I really did this when I came up with this question, I really thought about all the recent conflicts I've had. And, and you know what? I think all of them can be traced back to a yes answer to this question. You know, whether the conflict started because, well, I think my opinion is most important, or whether the conflicts didn't resolve. Why? Well, they need to say they're sorry to me, right? Because I'm most important. So we need to ask ourselves that question, am I most important? I wonder if the same is true for you right now. Think about the conflicts you've had recently. Do they stem from a yes answer to this question? Am I most important? I mean, I would wager to say they probably do. They probably do. So we need to ask ourselves that question. Could you imagine what God would do in our relationships with people if we regularly asked ourselves this question and we didn't abide a yes answer? We weren't okay with a yes answer. In fact, we were repelled by a yes answer. Could you imagine what God would do? That's humble love. So as we close today, pride is poisonous and we know that, but we can do something about it. We can humble ourselves before God. We can humbly think and ask the question, am I thankful? We can humbly live and ask the question, am I obedient? We can humbly love and ask the question, am I most important? Look at how God changed this wicked king when the wicked king humbled himself before God. What did Nebuchadnezzar say in verse 30? He says, is not this great Babylon which I built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? And then what's he say in verse 37? After humbling himself before God, 
Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he's able to humble. God has wonderful things for us in humility. And you might say, okay, Grant, you've given me three questions and that's nice and I kind of wrote them down or I kind of didn't, but I'm not gonna remember those. So, so how is this gonna be helpful for me? Well, you know what? I think a simple way for us to, to think about this and how we should humble ourselves is just remember Jesus. Like, remember the cross. Remember the cross. Like, maybe this week you do something you haven't done in many years. Maybe you write on your hand. I do it all the time. I forget things. But maybe you write on your hand. Maybe you literally just draw a cross on the top of your hand. And as you look at it, you remember humility. Because that's humility. Jesus literally submitted his very life to what the Father wanted him to do. And then he literally gave up his life for us. For us. He considered our lives that valuable that he gave up his own. Like, that's humility. That's humility. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we recognize your humility. We thank you for it. Lord Jesus, thank you that while we were still sinners, while we still hated you and were far from you, you died for us. You submitted to the Father and his plan and then you gave your life for us. No one took it from you. You laid it down for us. Lord, may we emulate that humility this week. May we be people who wouldn't wait to be humbled. Oh, how painful that is, how scary that is. May we be people who regularly humble ourselves. Because we can trust, we can trust you. We can humble ourselves. Because your word says that when we humble ourselves, we're not gonna be taken advantage of us. You're not gonna victimize us. It says you're gonna lift us up. You're gonna honor us. So God, will we be people who humble ourselves, humble our thinking, who are constantly thankful. Humble the way we live, every area of our life, we would seek to be obedient. Humble the way we treat other people, that we would truly be loving, that we wouldn't be most important anymore. Help us live humble lives and enjoy your wonderful blessings in the middle of it. God, as we respond now in song, I imagine that you've done much in our hearts this morning. You've challenged us, you've convicted us. So God, would you give my brothers and sisters in this room the courage to, to respond how you want them to? Whether that's stand and sing, lift their hands high, come forward and pray, kneel down on these steps and pray, I don't know. Give us the courage to respond how you would want us to respond. And God, for those in this room who, um, if they know that right now, they know that right now they're not following you. There's no question. Like if they were to die right now and stand before you, they have no idea if they'd be with you forever or if you'd cast them away forever. They have no idea. God, may they look at the cross this morning and see your forgiveness. May they know that, here's what your word says, that our sin separates us, that's true. But that Jesus, you came and you died for us to reconcile us to the Father. That whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's anybody in this room can be forgiven today and be made your child today. So God, if that's someone in this room, would you, would you get them to um, 
to communicate this to you. If you're hearing my voice now and that's you, you need to follow Jesus. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna pray a prayer. I'm gonna kinda lead you to talk to God. And you say this. You don't have to say it out loud. You say it in the quietness of your heart or your mind. And it doesn't have to be my exact words. Just communicate something like this to God. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry that I haven't followed you. But Jesus, I know you died on the cross for me. I know that you were raised from the dead three days later. And I know that you offer me forgiveness and a new life. God, I want it. Please forgive me. Please give me this new life. I want to follow you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.